Let me set it up for you. In a moment, I'm going to go to a scripture verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But the context here is that Paul, the apostle, he is a straight shooter. He's talking to believers and he say, you're carnal, you're babes, you're like little babies. And, and what was the issue here? It was that these different believers in the church, they had their favorite preachers and they got all excited uh, about their favorite preacher. And, and, and so what Paul is saying to them, everyone has their part to play and everyone has an important role because everyone is a co-worker with God. So let's, let's read this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. He who plants and he who waters are one. Equality. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field. You're God's building. Did you hear that? You are God's co-workers. You're like a field where God is planting good seed into your life. Uh, you are God's building. You're a part of the whole. You're not a loner. Now, let me say first here that when Paul is talking about those who are babes in Christ, those who have just come to faith and even those who are carnal. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for those who are babes in Christ. We're not looking for some perfect church. You know, there's a fallacy. Oh, before the Lord comes back, He's coming back for a church where all these different little carnalities have been ironed out. Ah, that will never happen. That'll be a boring church. No, carnal Christians and spiritual Christians, you're all welcome. <laughs> and, and, and if you're a spiritual babe, you're welcome. But the idea is that as we learn about Christ, that those who are babes, those who are carnal, should grow up out of envy and strife and division into seeing themselves identified with Jesus Christ. So I tell you today, you are God's partner. You're God's fellow worker. Jehovah Jireh, uh, the great provider, is in cooperation, is, a, is co-working, cooperating with people. And so uh, first major point I want to bring across is that God co-labors with available people. <laughs> not, not necessarily the most qualified people, available people. And uh, there, there's a story that really to me illustrates, because there are hundreds of stories, but there's one I keep going to again and again that I think really shows in, in such a stark color, such stark colors that, that God uses available people and that God has chosen to work through people. Uh, there's a, a man in the Bible called Cornelius. He was an Italian, a, a military man, and uh, he lived in a city called Caesarea. And when we go to Israel, we always go to Caesarea. Uh, this particular man, he was not a Christian. He was not a believer in Jesus, but he was what the Bible calls a God-fearer. And, and he was a giver. He, he, he to the best of the knowledge he had, he was a giver. So, so 
And so he was wondering, he, he was praying, and then something happened. And so we'll jump into the story there, Acts chapter 10. This man, Cornelius, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed the angel, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, that's Jaffa today, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And by the way, if you come with us to Israel, we'll take you right there. And so he says, go, go there and, and find that man, and he will tell you what you must do. And that, that, that's an important point. But, but before I get to that, let me point out here, amazingly, our giving, the prayers and alms, our prayer and our giving is remembered by God. You, know, you may think if you pray or if you give something for the cause of the gospel, which I know many of you have done and you are doing, and I hope that you will continue to do, you may say, well, the money is here and then it's gone. But here's very clear. It's remembered by God. God does not forget uh, he's not forgetful. Uh, to, to, to forget uh, your generosity, your cooperation in faith with God Himself. But, uh, so that's an important point. But, but what's really in, in, interesting in the context of our topic today is the angel of God is there. Cornelius needs to know the gospel. He needs to receive the Holy Spirit, which he will receive later on. But why doesn't the angel give the gospel to Cornelius? I mean, <laughs> why this whole thing? You have to send people down to Jaffa, and they have to go to this Simon the Tanner's house, and you've got to find Simon Peter, another Simon, and they're going to bring him here. And you know, that was quite an operation. But, but, but that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm saying that it's just amazing that Cornelius doesn't say to the angel, hey, angel, since you're here right now, why don't you just tell me what I have to do yourself? You know, why go through this whole <laughs> seemingly kind of extra uh, effort here of, of bringing this Simon Peter here? Why, angel, you're, you're a messenger of God. Why don't you tell me? And, and again, it comes to our point. God works with available people. And after some persuasion, Simon Peter would become available in this story. This is the point. We, you and I, people, available people, we are agents of God on earth. Now, some people say, well, what, I thought the Holy Spirit is going to do it. Well, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He, he'll never leave us. He's a comforter. He's with us. You know, I, I remember one of the countries we've conducted many gospel festivals is in Ethiopia. We've been in all the big cities there, pretty well all the big ones from Addis Ababa, the capital on down. But on one occasion, we, we went to kind of a remote area. And I think it was called Kibram and Gist. It was even the road. It took us an hour and a half every night going to the meeting and coming home. And it was, it was a wonderful time. God did great things. And people started to say, finally, the Holy Spirit is doing something in Kibram and Gist. People were saying that. And they were saying it so much that I, I, I thought, is that, is that how it works? No, it doesn't work like that. The Holy Spirit had always been interested in that remote area. 
as the Holy Spirit is interested in you. But the Holy Spirit works with people. So when we said, we'll go there, could have been anybody, but we said, we'll go there. Then the Holy Spirit blessed us going there. We were co-working with God. Well, to some of the more mystical Christians, it seemed like the Holy Spirit was just suddenly doing something. No, the Holy Spirit is interested in every person. And so my, my point today is what is in your hand? What do you have that the Holy Spirit can work with? And, and, and start thinking big. Think, you know, don't, don't just think the, something that you can accomplish in your own power by your own effort, but do something big enough for the Holy Spirit to be involved. You know, I, I, when I started, I just started reaching one person, but now I'm thinking if we could reach a billion people, you know, that's why we have these... Uh, campaigns now on social media that have reached so many millions of people. It's because we can't lay back and say, oh, you know, I, I have enough. I have everything I need. No, we still have a vision for the world. When it comes to the financial area, sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to believe God for anymore. I have enough. Well, that's wonderful. If you have enough for yourself and maybe a little bit extra, have some nice vacation, do some nice things, nice things for you. That's wonderful. But what about a vision for the world? Now, here's something else that comes back again and again. You'll notice the word uh, hand, the word that's on the screen behind me again and again in some of these verses. God works with people who see, who pay attention to what's in their hand. Now, of course, God can do anything. We're not trying to say anything against that. But it seems sometimes in Scripture as if God is limited Himself on purpose uh, to our willingness to use what is in our hand. You, you know, let, let me give you several because that seems like heavy. But, but for example, take the famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. They were hungry. They had been listening to Jesus. And so the disciples, uh, they, they, they did what I suppose responsible people would do. They would say, send them away. Send them home. Uh, they need to eat. And it's going to become, you know, hungry people become grumpy people. So let's, let's send them away. That, that was a reasonable enough suggestion. So let's read what happened here. Even if you're familiar with this, pay attention. Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. So here, here's their response. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii, 200 days' wages worth of bread, and give them something to eat. So they're thinking of something. We've got to go there and get that done. But Jesus refocuses the question. He said, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? What's in your hand? Go and see. Before you run off to some shopping center, to buy food. Find out what do you have in your hand. And that when they found out, they said five and two fish, five bread and two fish. What Jesus is saying, before you run off looking for some breakthrough or some provision, what's in your cupboard? You know, we're so accustomed, and I know especially my dear charismatic, spiritual friends, you say, I always want to look at what God has in His hand for me. And we always say, Lord, give me. Well, th there are times for that, but uh, maybe even more frequent in the Scripture is what's in your hand. I, I put this on the screen for you. Don't look at what you wish that you had. Look at what you have. I say that again. Don't look at what you wish you had. 
said, oh, I wish I had this. And if I had this, I would do that. Oh, Pastor Peter, if I had this, I would, I would, I would really get involved. Don't look at what you wish you had. Look at what you have. Some people are looking to make it through a lottery. Or if I, had a, if I won the lottery, if I had a, this job, if I got this promotion. Versus saying, I, I got five bread and two fish. God wants to work with what we have. Not, not, not with what we don't have. But He takes what we have and multiplies it. When I think about this ministry, whether it's the local church here or whether what we do around the world uh, through World Impact Ministries, it, it was, it's built on people who only have five bread and two fish. People who had more month than money. But they were saying, I'm going to take what I have and, and I'm going to do something with it. Here's another example of the same principle. You know, Elijah was this powerful man of God and, and he had prophesied a drought. And of course, when the drought came, it affected Elijah himself. He was not exempt when, I, when the harvest failed and, and there was a lack of food. Well, it wasn't just all the people of Israel, but it was the one who had prophesied it. He also was affected. And so he was asking God what to do. And so the Lord said to him, in 1 Kings, hide by the brook which flows into the Jordan. It was called Cherith. And you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so the idea is when drought is killing the land, God has a brook and ravens to, to come and drop sandwiches or food or steak or whatever it was into Elijah's hand. Now, I, I need to pause to interject this, that according to the religious thinking of the Jewish people, the raven was an unclean bird. And so this is very interesting, that God is working through an unclean bird. And, and so, so that, that, that's for us to consider. Some of you work in a workplace, you say, oh, my boss, he's cussing all the time, and he's just talking in a way that's vulgar, and I, I, just, I just pray that I would be working in a church. Well, you know, every workplace has its trouble. But here, here's for you. Say, oh, I want to get out of that job. You know, it could be that God is going to use that raven who is your foreman, who is your, your, your boss or whatever, to promote you, to take care of you, to take you to a better place. And, and, and so some people always look, I want to go to another place. I want to be somewhere else. No, God will bless you where you are. But then look, look what happened in the story of Elijah. It says a few verses later, after a while, the brook dried up because there had been no rain. And I suppose the ravens stopped coming. Then the word of the Lord came, go to Seraphat and I will, uh, I will feed you there. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Again, I am sure Elijah, as you and I would have thought, oh God, I need a big provision. I need something big. Lord, this, is, this, this drought is going on. I don't know what, where to turn. But God has prepared a, a, a skinny, I, I assume she was skinny because she was a starving widow. Uh, he, he takes something unlikely. See, God likes to work with little people. I, I don't like that phrase, really. Politicians talk about, oh, we want to help the little people. I feel like saying, who are you talking to? You little yourself. But uh, you know what I mean with that? People who seem like they don't have it going for them. God 
likes to work with the unlikely person. That's probably a better word, unlikely, the unexpected person. And, and God provides for Elijah and for uh, the widow and for her family by what is in the widow's hand. And so Elijah obeys when God says, he goes to Seraphat, and here's what he says. He went to Seraphat, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Notice what it says beside me. Here it says, what's in your hand? Bring me a morsel in your hand. So Elijah directs the woman to pay attention to what's in her hand. And I say to you today, the key to your future, to a better life, to a breakthrough, even to a miracle, to a healing is God has put something in your hand. Let, let, let's, let's continue reading for another couple of verses. The Lord God says, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he, that's Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. And so the principle here is, we, 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 we sound so spiritual, we say, oh, I'm looking heavenward. As if, you know, that, that's a very medieval thinking. Uh, you know, I'm looking for a supply. Heaven, heaven, heaven is going to send something on down to me. But, but what God is saying, what's in your hand? Elijah doesn't say to the woman, you know, it's going to be bread from heaven coming to you. He says, no, the, the, the answer to everything you need is what's in your hand. If you will use what's in your hand, God will multiply that. And I, I connect that with Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, not many noble, not many mighty, not many my, wise after this world's idea of what is noble and wise and mighty, not many of those got involved with God's kingdom, maybe because they were self-sufficient, but then he goes on to say, and this ties in with what we're just reading from 1 Kings, that God doesn't look at outward qualifications. Have you ever thought, when you look at Jesus' disciples, for example, in the Bible, you know, you wonder, Jesus, were those the best ones you could choose? Because they were so full of unbelief at times. See, God doesn't look at people's qualifications. He looks at their availability. I say, God looks at our willingness to use what's in our hand. When, when the disciples hadn't caught any fish, he said, cast out your net. You have a net in your hand. Cast it out again. And so the disciples let go of their nets. Use what you have. Sometimes we're waiting for some spiritual bomb blast instead of using what we have. I, I don't want to get you sick and tired. I tell my own testimony, you know, when I was uh, 15 years old, I was selling postcards. I was making a nickel for every postcard I sold, and I put it into world evangelization. 
And since then, thank God, I've gone from Nichols, and we have handled millions to reach hundreds of millions of souls. I, I, I tell you, when I started to preach, nobody invited me. You know, who, who would invite a young kid? So I went to the, to the center of town where we lived. I had, to use, I had to work with what I had. I know at the center of town, that's where all the drunks hung out. They, they, the locals called them the A-team. That means the alcoholics team. You know, that was, that was the reference. Uh, the the A-team is over there. It, it meant the alcoholics. So I, I thought, well, at least they're not working, so they, they make a good audience. Some of them were just sleeping on the park bench, sleeping off their, you, you know, whatever they had, all the, all the alcohol in their, in their, in their blood, and, and they were trying to come to. So I would go there and preach. I would go there and preach. And, and some of them would receive Christ. Nobody, I didn't go there to be noticed. I just went there because you've got you to use what you have. And then I suppose somebody heard about it and, and came by and they told the pastor in the church I was attending, you should have Peter speak in a, in some night. Give him a few minutes to speak. So then I got to speak. Then, then uh, after that, I did that a few times. And there was this music team. And uh, uh, they said, well, we, we don't know how to preach. I was only 16 at the time. They said, we, we don't preach. We just play and sing songs. It was like a quartet. But some places we go, they want us to preach. Can you come and preach? I said, yeah. See, everything was a step. So, so I, I started with, with, first I had to receive Christ. Then I started with the 18, the drunks. And, and I still kept going back to them. Then when I came to uh, Rhode Island, Zion Bible Institute, uh, then I, I had a little bit preaching experience. So that led me to be invited to Dixon Road here in Toronto. And, and I had my first three-week meeting in a big tent. See, you got to use, I, I, don't, I don't tell my stories, because, but, but I only tell it because that's my story. I don't have your story. But, but, but I say, I, I had to use what was in my hand. Look at Moses, Exodus 4. Moses answered uh, to God here because uh, God had told him, you, you should go and I'm with you and I'm going to bless you. Uh, but, but Moses didn't really believe it. So he said, suppose the people of Israel would not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? That, that, that's the question we're asking today. You see it behind me here. What's in your hand? Instead of whining and complaining, and I don't think it's going to work, and me, 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 What's in your hand? Moses said, a rod. And God said, give it to me. Give me that old rod, that staff in your hand. And to make a long story short, you know, that stick, that staff became a serpent and then turned back to a rod. And later on, he would, Moses would stretch out that staff over the Red Sea and divide the waters. He would lead three million people into freedom. An ordinary stick was a part of the story. Now, Moses had a litany of excuses, but God's answer was not, oh, I'm going to send a mighty spiritual explosion in your life. He says, no, what do you have in your hand? God was to use that old stick, all washed up. I put it like this, take this as a prophecy. God works with our washed up, wasted, failed lives to make something beautiful and significant. Oh, let me say that again. You may feel all washed up. 
You may feel wasted. You may feel like a failure. And you see it is still on the screen there. God works with people who feel like their lives are shot, wasted. And, and look at what's in your hand. Maybe even the tough things you went through put a little bit more love in your heart. You have a little bit more compassion for others. You see, your future is in your hand. Um, th there's a law of usage, which basically is that everything is built on the proper usage of something previous. Now, that, that's a natural law and it's a spiritual law. So, for example, uh, when we say it's a universal law. If I take, for example, like a medical doctor who has become an expert in his field, well, uh, that medical doctor didn't become a medical doctor just uh, like that. They had to pass grade one in elementary school. They had to go through high school. They had to go to university, pre-med school, med school. And then they had to specialize in, in the anatomy of the body, physiology, become an understudy, and eventually maybe a neurosurgeon. So, so the one thing built on the other. You don't become a concert pianist. People say, pray for me, I want to be a concert pianist. No, you start studying, what is it, Royal Conservative, grade one, conservatory, grade two, grade three. If you want to be a real estate investor, you start with something small. If you want to educate yourself, you, you, or if it's physical exercise, whatever it is, you start with something that's in your hand. Now, what I just described to you was the same is true spiritually. God has given you something in your hand. Even if it's just you say, I have compassion for people. Well, that's something beautiful. Some people don't have that, but you have that. God's put that in your hand. Let that flow through you. Here's another beautiful picture of this in, in Judges chapter 15, uh, describing the Samson. It says he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Well, we're not into killing people, but we, we take the, 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 the metaphorical uh, truth out of this. And when I look at that jawbone of a donkey, a donkey's jaw, and all that was left was the bone. You know, at one time that donkey had been a valuable donkey pushing heavy loads, maybe pushing the plow in the field, working with the farmer. But you know, the donkey got old and it died and it was discarded. And the hyenas came and the jackals came and they tore the flesh out of that old dead donkey. And then, then the birds came and the vultures came and they picked at the bone. And, and after a while, there was just a jawbone left. A good-for-nothing jawbone of an ass, of a donkey. And Samson said, I'm going to take that into my hand. I need something in my hand when I go to battle. That's what I'm saying. What's in your hand? Who can you touch? Who needs your help? I mean, Timothy, who is, uh, what a ministry. Paul says there's no one in the whole world like Timothy. And what did he have going for him that could make him so great? Well, he had a good reputation. He was disciplined. He had a good work ethic. He was helping out. And, and, and that seems to be all that he had. He had to, also, he had some nice mom and dad, especially his mother and his grandmother had been influential. So there were some things like that. But it wasn't like, you know, he was, had a big 
label over him, super destiny. No, he just, whatever he had, opened the door for the next. You know, I got to hurry through this. I'm not going to read it. It would take too much time. But people know the parable of the talents. You know, Jesus said how the, the husband man or the landlord, if you wish, the farmer gave out talents. Uh, one got one talent, one got two, and one other one got five. And then they were to multiply those talents. And, and so I, I want to just highlight three powerful truths out of that. Life puts something valuable in your hand. Could be one talent, it could be two, it could be five, but you have a talent, you have something. Don't let anybody talk you out of that. Don't ever go around saying, oh, I, I have nothing. That's a lie. God has given you something, something beautiful that you can double up. You can, you can see it grow to become, it's in your hand. Then the story of the, uh, of the parable of the talents teaches us that life gives you time. Time to do what? To realize the potential of the talent. It says in that story of the parable of the parable of the talents, it says that after the master of the house, the, the farmer had given out the talents, he went on a journey and it was for a long time. I, I, I hope that you will have a long time. We all want time because time is a commodity. It's a resource to realize the most of what's in our hand, time. Time is just trickling away, but we have quite a bit of it. I hope you have lots. We, we pray for healing. We pray for blessing. We pray for long life. But one thing about time, no matter how long you live, time is irreversible. You can never go back. <laughs> it's one of the biggest mistakes people make. Say, I want to go back. I remember back, back then. We want to go back. No, no, no. You can't go back. You only go forward. It's impossible to bank time and say, well, I'm going to put some in the bank and use it later. No, time is so valuable. And today, right now, when you meet someone, you might say, how are you doing? How's it going for you? But you know, once uh, we're in eternity, the question will, will be, how did you do? How did you do with the time you had? Whenever you go to a cemetery, you can look at all the tombstones it gives to date of birth, and it gives the date of death. Date of birth, date, date of death. And in between, there's a dash. It's, it looks so tiny. That little dash, born such and such a year, died such a year. Then there's a dash. You know, that dash represents all of life. All the struggles, all the fears, all the worries, all the anxieties, all the successes. Whatever we made out of life. Then, then the story of the parable of the talent of that chapter teaches us one other lesson. Life culminates in accountability. And so when the farmer, the landowner comes back, he says, what have you done? And one of the servants said, I was afraid. And you know, that fear caused him to lose even the one talent that he had. And so I say to you today, assess what you have release what you have. Believe 
that what you have is there from God, be willing to use that. Because maybe I'm freeing you from it today. If, if your whole Christian life, especially my dear fellow spirit-filled believers, charismatic believers, we just I'm just waiting for God to send something. I'm waiting for that spiritual bomb to drop an explosion. You know, we talk about, uh, the, the, some people talk about that. Maybe you've been barking up the wrong tree, looking in the wrong direction. Instead say, God, what, what have you put in my hand? What can I do today? It's not what I can do if I had this or that, which I wish I had, but I don't. It's what can I do now? And God makes what you have in your hand to prosper. Oh, I could go on for a long time. It says about Joseph, God made everything that was in his hand to prosper. It's all over the scripture. 